Acts chapter 2, it probably feels like we're going at a snail's pace trying to go through the book of Acts. We have to understand the first portion of the book of Acts. And then, once we get that, it's really going to make a lot of sense moving forward. Today we're going to be reading, look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, comma, we're going to stop right there. We're going to speak, be speaking on the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost. So to get the details of what happens in Acts chapter 2, we will keep reading, but we're going to focus, be focusing on what the day of Pentecost was. So Acts chapter 2, verse 1, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Who is that? The Lord's assembly. They were there. They were in one place. It was a local called out assembly that was given charge already, they were commissioned already, they were given many promises already, they had offices already, they had apostles that were set first in the assembly already. This, The local church was already in existence. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as, a, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it set upon each of them. And they all were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues and as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. And when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them in his own tongue. So of the, all the nations, all these people that were coming in, they were, they were hearing in their own tongue. When people speak in tongues, that's language. So it would be as if every one of you spoke a different native language, and as I spake in English, you would hear in your own native tongue. That was what was going on there. Okay, It wasn't gobbledygook. It wasn't uh, the, uh, variations of, of the same syllables were, were repeated over and over. The, the, it was a broadcasting of there. But what happened? Look in verse 12. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Now remember, he's, they're still speaking in tongues. He said unto them, he's speaking to them all in their different languages. What does someone say when they're speaking in tongues? Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which is spoken by the prophet Joel. So it's a God-honoring thing. It's a, it, 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 it flows from the word of God. And it shall come to pass, in the last day, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaids will I pour out will I pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke, and the sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. 
whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. He preached in the Spirit the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the Word of God. Read with me now in verse 36. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made the same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and unto the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and unto your children, unto all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received the word were baptized, and in the same day were added unto them about three thousand souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking bread and in prayers. The day of Pentecost. There's a lot of confusion about the day of Pentecost. What is the day of Pentecost to the Jew? If you were to talk to the Jew before this, as they were entering in, why were all those Jews in Jerusalem? What was significant about the day of Pentecost? Well, I would like for you to turn to the book of Leviticus chapter 23, please. And we're going to do a little bit of reading here, but it's I'd like for you to stay focused here with us. We're talking about the feast of Israel. And what was what was the intent of the, the feast of weeks or Pentecost to the children of Israel? Read with me, if you would please, in Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 1. Again, we're talking about Pentecost, the feast of Israel. What's going on in Acts chapter 2? What does all this mean? The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them concerning the feast of the Lord, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations. Even these are my feasts. What is it? Who does this belong to? Does Pentecost belong to the apostles? Does Pentecost belong to the Jews? Does Pentecost belong? Who does it belong to? It belongs to God. It's God's feast. Okay. All these feasts go back to the appreciation of who God is. Okay. Six days shall be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest and holy convocation. Ye shall do no work therein. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. These are the feasts of the Lord, even holy convocations, which ye shall proclaim in their seasons. In the fourteenth day of the first month at even, it is the Lord's Passover. The Lord Jesus Christ fulfilled the Passover. He is the Passover. Okay, The lamb slain uh, for, the, for the protection and the salvation of his people. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Jesus Christ, the Passover. And on the 15th day of the same month, it is the feast of unleavened bread unto the Lord. Seven days you must uh, eat unleavened bread. So remember, unleavened bread in the immediate context in Exodus chapter uh, 12, it was, it was a time set aside that the children of, of Israel were to, were to sanctify themselves unto the Lord and, and rehearse those things concerning Passover, but, but draw themselves out of the way to put, put all measure of leaven and sin away from themselves specifically to draw unto the Lord. And the first day you shall have in holy convocation, you should do no servile work therein. But you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord seven days. And the seventh day it is, it is a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work therein. 
And the Lord speaking unto Moses, saying, speaking unto the children of Israel, saying unto them, When ye be come into the land which I give unto you, you shall reap the harvest thereof. When then you shall bring the sheath of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priest. So the 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 the, the feast of first fruits here then, and Jesus Christ fulfilled this in his resurrection. He is the first fruits, and you can read that in the New Testament. He is the first fruits of God. And he we shall wave and he shall and he shall wave the sheath before the Lord to be accepted for you. On the morrow after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it, and it shall offer uh, that day when you shall wave the sheaf he and he lamb without blemish of the first year for a burnt offering unto the Lord. Again, you have Passover, you have unleavened bread, you have first fruits, all picturing the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the meat offering thereof you shall be uh, shall be two tenth deals of the fine flour mingled with oil, an offering made by fire unto the Lord for a sweet savor. And the drink offering there thereof shall be of wine, the fourth part of a hen. And ye shall eat neither bread nor parched corn nor green ears until the selfsame day that ye brought an offering unto your God. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations and all your dwellings. So, verse 15, look at this. And it shall come unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath. Okay, Sabbath is on what day? Saturday. What's the morrow? It's the first day of the week, right? The morrow after the Sabbath... From the day that you were brought, even the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be complete. So seven Sabbaths and a day. How many days is that? Seven weeks and a day. How many days is that? Y'all are smart. Fifty, right? Feast of weeks. Fifty. Pentecost. Penta. That that uh, its translation is fifty. Pentecost. Even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath shall be a number of fifty days, and you shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord. Pentecost. So what Pentecost is, is a conclusion of the Passover celebrations, the spring feasts, okay? It, it, they were to come together and they were to rehearse, rehearse of all the things that God had done. He had sustained them another spring. He had sustained them another year. They were reminded already that, that, Christ, that, that God had been their Passover and brought them out of bondage. They were reminded that they were to be consecrated or set apart unto the Lord. They were reminded in, in, the, in the first fruits that God had pro- literally provided all things in the rejuvenation of all the, the these these supplies of food, right? That's what spring shows us as a rejuvenation. Well, what greater rejuvenation was there than the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And in all these things, in the feast, the feast of Pentecost, there was to be a celebration in the Lord, a big time celebration. Verse 17, you shall bring out of your habitations two wave loaves of, of two tenth deals, and they shall be a fine flour. They shall be baked, bacon with leaven. They are the first fruits of the Lord. And you shall offer with the bread of the lambs without blemish, and of the first year, and one bullock, and two rams. They shall be for a burnt offering unto the Lord with their meat offering and their drink offering and an offering made by fire, sweet savoring unto the Lord. You see here on the, the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks, there's a lot going on. They're really, they're really celebrating the Lord here, a sweet savor unto the Lord. Then you shall sacrifice one kid of the goats for a sin offering. And two lambs uh, the first year were sacrificed for peace offerings. You see all these offerings unto the Lord. Thanksgiving offerings, sin offerings, sins of negligence, uh, all these types of uh, thankfulness unto God. 
And the priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits for a wave offering before the Lord with two lambs, and they shall be holy unto the Lord for the priest. And you shall proclaim on the selfsame day, Feast of Weeks, Pentecost, that it be an holy convocation unto you. You shall do no servile work therein. It shall be a statute forever in all your dwellings throughout your generations. And when you reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not make the clean riddance of the corners of the field when thou reapest, neither shalt thou gather the gleaning of thy harvest. Thou shalt leave them unto the poor and to the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Well, that sounds like it's something different, doesn't it? No, we're still talking about spring harvest. We're still talking about a conclusion there uh, of the Passover feast of, uh, of, 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 the, of, of the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, of the Feast of First Fruits. It, it, it's a celebration. And in their celebrations, they were not to neglect the poor or the stranger. That's exactly what happened in the fulfillment of Pentecost in, in Acts chapter 10. In this conclusion of the Passover celebrations, the Lord being risen, and in Acts chapter 1, the Lord had clearly given his assembly marching orders, if you will. He says to them in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. What were they going to be witnesses of? The death, Passover, the burial, unleavened bread. The resurrection, first fruits, right? It was a celebration. Acts chapter 2 is a celebration that the children of God, through his assembly, that they were declaring God, the Lord Jesus Christ, how that he had fulfilled these things. And it was a conclusion of the Passover celebrations, and it was a celebration in the house of Israel. Thousands of people being saved and turned to the Lord. Yes, a clear celebration in the Lord. This spring or early year reaping of the harvest, the God's provision for Israel. They were, they were to be uh, reapers, and he, he told them to go out and, and to be reapers. This is provision for the poor, those that were poor of heart. God had made poor of heart, and also provision for the stranger. Largely when Peter was speaking, and you see how he addresses himself, or he addresses the crowd. He speaks to ye men of Israel. Let all the house of Israel know. This was a, a, a time that Israel was, was to, to celebrate the things of God. But also there was provision for the stranger. And how, how wonderful is that? The, the Gentile. Whenever he mentions in his address. Look again in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Then Peter said unto them. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Son, uh, the name, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you, the Jew, and to your children, and to all that are afar off. Who was afar off? It was the Gentile, right? The fulfillment, the fulfillment of the feast of weeks, feast of Pentecost. There's so much confusion about what happened on Pentecost, but that's it. That's it. According to the gospel of Jesus Christ, a celebration of God's provision, his salvation, and his, and his work out in the lives of his people, that they would truly be sanctified unto him. That is what Pentecost is all about. In the fulfillment, or excuse me, in the fulfillment of the promise Prophecy it was the fulfillment of that prophecy. It's also the fulfillment of the promises of the Lord Jesus Christ, particular unto his assembly. Look into John chapter 14 
John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17. He says, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall send you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. So in this this fulfillment of promise in Acts chapter 2, we're going to read that the Spirit of God that already was indwelling these people in salvation will come and comfort the people of God in his assembly to keep his commandments. What were his commandments? That they would testify of him, right? To walk in light as he is light, to take up their cross and follow him. That's what the Spirit of God does in his assembly. Now, he did it in a very special way in Acts chapter 2 that we do not experience. But we do experience it in measure in that the Spirit of God does continue with us and that we would, read that again, that we would keep his commandments and that the Spirit of truth would work in us continuing in keeping his commandments. You see? Also in John chapter 14, verses 25 through 26, what happened? The, look, look at that. John chapter 14, verses 25 and 26. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. The Spirit of God already indwelling in all believers specifically specifically comes and teaches and reminds the people of God in his assembly the, the, the words of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that there is exactly one institution that is called the pillar and ground of the truth. And it's not because we're so smart, and it's not because we're so great, but it's because the Spirit of God does teach and remind the people of God in his assembly uh, the words of, of, of God. How in the world could Peter rehearse half the book of Joel on the fly like that? Is is that because he was so smart? Is it because he was so great? Or is it because the Holy Spirit came at that time and did rehearse those things? He, He said, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. That teaching all things, it's not simply, you know, okay, check the box A, check the box B, but literally opening understanding, leading the people of God in his assembly in the understanding of the word of God. Now, there are people that are saved, and every single person that is saved is born again or born from, born from above, and that is the work of the Holy Spirit according to the gospel of Jesus Christ by the will of God the Father. So every single saved person has the Holy Spirit, but the Lord's assembly specifically has the Holy Spirit doing certain things in it, And specifically in Acts chapter 2, that is what's happening. Fulfillment of promise. In John chapter 15, verses 26 and 27, fulfillment of the promise of Jesus Christ. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father. So again, I have to make this plain, as plain as I can. When Jesus Christ is speaking to his apostles in John chapter 15, he's speaking to saved people. So he's not saying he's going to send the Spirit of God from the Father that he'll finally save them and make them a church. That's not what he's saying. 
He's talking to these, these lead, the leaders here, the elders of the Lord's assembly, who are already saved. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. What was Peter talking about in Acts chapter 2? Was he talking about the Spirit? Was he talking about uh, incomprehensible syllables that nobody understands? Was he talking about confusion? Who was he talking? He was talking about Jesus Christ, predestined by the determinate, according to the determinate foreknowledge of God, that he was crucified and slain in the hands of wicked sinners and rose again from the dead. He testified of Christ, and ye also shall bear witness of bear witness because ye have been with me from the beginning. Again. The Spirit, already indwelling in salvation, would come to uh, come from the Father and testify of Jesus Christ through His people, uh, and, and they were they were to fulfill that commission. That's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ again said in Acts chapter one and verse eight. But you shall receive power or ability after the Holy that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and in the uttermost part of the earth. So Pentecost was a fulfillment of prophecy, a celebration of Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits. The Lord uh, clearly out of Exodus that, that, or out of Egypt, that he clearly delivered them out of bondage, that he delivered them unto, unto lives of, of sanctification and gave them provision and sustaining power in them. It was a celebration. It was also a fulfillment of that promise in a, in a practical sense unto salvation there. The Jews, by and large, were reminded again. Look, please. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word. They, glad, they gladly received the good news of the celebration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They gladly received it, were baptized. And the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Again, it was celebration time. In, in the house of Israel at that day. Celebration. It was a celebration. The Holy Spirit would also come. Would also come. If you look in, in actually, excuse me, John chapter 16. John chapter 16. And verse 5. John chapter 16 and verse 5. But now I go my way to him that sent me, and none of you ask of me, whether goest thou? But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow, sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you, it's good for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin, and of righteousness, and of judgment, of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father, and you see me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. The Holy Spirit, he would come and reprove the world of sin, exposing, exposing the sin nature. That's what, well, how in the world is that? By the people of God going out and say, repent. Sinners, repent. You have sinned against the Almighty God. Sinners, repent. Reprove them of righteousness. How so? Well, Jesus Christ died in the place of sinners and he rose again and he alone could do that. Only in the gospel of Jesus Christ, according to his righteousness, exalting Christ in his risen state, uh, the Holy Spirit does reprove in that. And he, go, and he does so through the testimony of the people of God. Again, he says and when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin. He says, I send you 
the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works through his assembly. Reprove the world of judgment. How so? Because the prince of this world is judged. If the highest created being ever will be judged in his sin. There is no human being that can escape that in and of themselves. The, the, the purpose of the gospel is to liberate sinners from their just reward of sin. Christ taking uh, the, the sin calls for that. So the Holy Spirit reproving the world of judgment, condemning all in their own natural state. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And that sounds like some, some sandpaper, doesn't it? And it really does. It does chide the flesh for sure. And that's exactly what the Spirit of God does through his people. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. That's what Peter preached in Acts chapter 2 when the fulfillment of that promise came. What did he say? Men, sirs, what shall we do? Sirs, sirs, what shall we do? Men and brethren, what do we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and be baptized. What's baptism? It's a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, or according to his reputation for the, for the forgiveness or remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now what comes first, the gift of the, uh, the Holy Spirit in salvation or, or baptism? It's believer's baptism. The gift of the Holy Ghost there is, is being a partaker of that, 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 that expression of the Holy Spirit through his assembly. But we're to exercise believer's baptism. The fulfilling... The fulfilling of, of uh, the, the fulfillment of promise. That's what happened in Acts chapter two. Does this still happen through the Lord's assembly? Do we speak in tongues? I don't speak in tongues. The, the, uh, but we are to declare according to the word of God the gospel of Jesus Christ to every creature. We are to celebrate the, uh, the the feast as they were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It is to be a celebration and thank God there is provision for the stranger in that. Leviticus chapter twenty three and verse twenty two. It is also a fulfilling, now fulfillment of prophecy, fulfillment of promise. It's a fulfilling of perpetuity, meaning it's still ongoing. Look at Matthew, if you would please, in Matthew chapter 28. In Matthew chapter 28, we've read these verses many times, and they're still true. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18 and Jesus, came, and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power, authority, ability is given unto me in, in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world or age. Amen, it says. So in that, the Lord did promise the Holy Spirit to continue in his assembly, and he promised himself to continue with his assembly. And that perpetuity, they did go forth, they did go teach, they did baptize. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, and they continued steadfastly. Read verse 41 with me. Then they gladly, then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued. Who continued? The 3,000 souls plus the 120 of Acts chapter 1. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking bread and in prayers. That's what the book of Acts is all about. It's a big celebration in the gospel of Jesus Christ, his people, his church that he authorized 
with authority, continuing that celebration of the gospel. The celebration of the gospel. You know, if you were to continue reading in Leviticus chapter 23, those are the spring feasts. And then you're going to have fall feasts, okay? And the fall feasts. What are the fall feasts? Feast of trumpets. Get ready for the Day of Atonement. What's the Day of Atonement? Well, the high priest would come by uh, and he would offer that one sacrifice a year to roll back the sins of Israel. And after that's the Feast of Tabernacles where they literally dwelt in tents and they were reminded that God dwelt with them when he brought them out uh, of bondage in, in the desert there for 40 years. He dwelt with them. If you look at prophetically, it appears as though the Feast of Trumpets is very, 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 very identical to what happens in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 when Paul tells the church of Thessalonica that with a shout and with a trump, the dead in Christ shall rise. And then at the end of the tribulation period, you're going to have the Lord coming, literally putting his feet on the, on the Mount of Olives, as it says in the book of Zechariah. And the remnant of the house of Israel shall be restored unto him. Awful lot looking like the the Day of Atonement. You can read that in Nehemiah chapter 8. Super cool how that the remnant of the house of Israel came out of bondage. And in chapter 7 it mentions all their names. Not everybody, but the remnant of the house of Israel. And that's when they read for a third part of the day and they prayed for a third part of the day. And so on. And they wept and they wept. And you read Isaiah 53 and it says that they shall see him and they are pierced, right? That's all talking about the Day of Atonement, the remnant of the house of Israel. And then, guess what? After the Lord sets his feet on the, on the Mount of Olives, what happens next? Doesn't God dwell on earth with his people for a thousand years, awful lot like the Feast of Tabernacles? Yeah. Sure does. So right now, you could say that we're in that hot summer. And we are in a hot summer, that hot summer. When's it going to end? When's fall coming? When The hot summer. We could say we're in the hot summer months right now after the Feast of Pentecost. But still a celebration, isn't it? Still a celebration. The fulfilling of perpetuity. The Lord's assembly has continued since the day that the Lord Jesus Christ established it in celebrating the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to those that are near the Jew and those that are far off us way over here in Silsby, Texas. And there have have been signs and miracles and all that stuff has ceased. All that stuff has ceased, signs and miracles. What has not ceased is what we just read in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41 and 42. Then they that gladly received the word were baptized. If someone came today and said that they believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and gladly received that, that, that testimony of the gospel, what would we do? We'd receive them into the membership through baptism, wouldn't we, as soon as we found deep enough water. We, they that gladly received the word were baptized. And the same day were added, X, Y, Z. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. I perceive that's what we do here today. I, that's what I perceive that we do. And the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread, I believe, is, a, is speaking of the Lord's Supper and in prayers. That continues today. And I, and I believe that, that, that the, day, the day of Pentecost, Pentecost shows that the Lord did, as he has promised in Matthew chapter 28 and, and Luke chapter 24, that he would continue being with his assembly in that great continuation of, of the celebration of the, the Passover week. That's what we do. We celebrate the Passover week. So what was, what was Acts chapter 2 not? What was Pentecost not? 
Okay, so now that we clearly see from Scripture what it is, it's just a declaration that, that God has delivered, that God does sanctify us out, and we are responsible being saved and delivered to sanctify ourselves, and we are, we are to celebrate His provision for us every day. And, and it should be a, a, a we, we should always have, quote, a Pentecost heart celebrating the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. What is it not? What is it not? Well, it's not the beginning of the church. Right. We studied Acts chapter 1 at length. Look at it again, Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was come, fully come, they, the Lord's assembly, were all with one accord of one mind in one place. That's the local New Testament church that the Lord had established with authoritative baptism that came not from, from, from man but from God. Remember, there was a man sent from God. His name was John, and his baptism did come from God. They had authoritative baptism. They were commissioned. They, they, had, they had officers and offices. They, they were of one mind in one place. They were local. This was the Lord's assembly. And that was, that was also the day before Pentecost. You say on day 49, there were also a church there, you see. So it was not the beginning of the church. It was not the beginning of spirit worship, even. What do you mean by spirit worship? Well, if you look at a lot of people who, who call themselves Pentecostal, they also have a mindfulness of, of targeting the Holy Spirit as their focus of worship, don't they? Well, the Spirit led me to do this, and the Spirit led me to do that, and the Spirit, and the Spirit, and the Spirit. Spirit worship, which is contrasted to Christ worship. Okay, On Acts, In Acts chapter 2, who did Peter talk about? He talked about the Lord Jesus Christ, didn't he? And he, he talked about uh, he talked about the Lord Jesus Christ, and he talked about how God had sent the Lord Jesus Christ to do these things, and and that 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 he that he was that that that, that provisional lamb. Again, verse twenty three. Him, Jesus Christ, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, have ye taken? And by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. That's right. The focus of the Lord's assembly is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's right. The Spirit, don't the Spirit is not the focus. If the Spirit right. is the focus, then, then that is, a, that is a, what would be known as a corrupt gospel, which is not a gospel. That's right. Galatians chapter 1. Look at this. Galatians chapter 1. And verse 3, grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. The Spirit functionally works, you see. We see he's not mentioned there. Is there a trinity? Absolutely. Who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from the present evil world according to the will of God and of our Father. To whom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Whom be glory. When every knee shall bow at the feet of Jesus Christ, who is it to the glory of? What's it say in Philippians chapter 2? The glory of God the Father. Right? I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ, into another gospel, which is not another. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ, to upside down or twist it. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you that which 
than that which you have heard preached unto you, let him be accursed. It is not a gospel that is, quote, spirit-filled, spirit-centered. Uh, spirit People are looking for spirit-filled assemblies. They're looking for something that is not biblical. It's not biblical, right? Was it? It wasn't the, the beginning of spirit worship. It also wasn't the beginning of godly confusion. You think godly confusion? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 says that God is not the author of confusion. So there's no such thing as God being uh, having a godly confusion. But what do we mean by, what would we mean? Like, people actually think that it's a beginning of godly confusion? Yeah, they do. I mean, why do you think there's all these denominations out there? Because they don't believe that the Lord has his one true assembly. So then there must be many different types of people all on the same side doing the will of God according to his purpose. They're saying that God promotes godly confusion in his, quote, denominations. And that's just not true. It's not the beginning of godly confusion. It's not the beginning of, of godly confusion and theologies and redemptive plans. You go down here and you've got to do these seven things and you can be saved. And you go over here and you've got to you know, so many, say so many Hail Marys and you can be saved. And you go over here and you have to do this and this and this and be saved. It's not the beginning of godly confusion and redemptive plans or theologies. No. It's so easy to see if you understand chapter 1 of the book of Acts. That Acts chapter 2 is simply a fulfillment of the people of God doing, trusting God and doing what he says. It's not a beginning of godly uh, confusion in focus. What do we mean by that? Well, there's a lot of folks that, that believe that, you know, if I just have a dream or a feeling or an interpretation or, or a vision or that, that kind of stuff, that that's, that, that's, that that's what I'm supposed to be doing as a church member, or what I'm supposed to be believing. No, it's not the beginning of, uh, of self-motivations and dreams and that type of thing. That's right. It's not the beginning of divinations. What's a divination? Seeing the unknown by spiritual means. That's right. Oh, you go see this counselor and he'll tell you what to do. Is it according to the Word of God? No, it's according to humanism and all this kind of stuff. That's right. It's not the beginning of divinations. It's not the beginning of disputings and perverse in nature. What do we mean by that? Splitting hairs by the lost in order to set, fill themselves uh, okay by Scripture, right? You know, there's a lot of religiously unsaved people, right? So Acts chapter 2, Pentecost does not give license for the unsaved people to pick up God's holy word and make it say what they want it to say and live according to their own conscience. It's not the beginning of determinations, destitute of truth, or will worship. That's what it's. Y'all ever heard the term will worship? Will worship. So listen to how Thayer describes will worship. Worship that one devises for himself, contrary to the nature of faith worked out in salvation by Jesus Christ. Do you mean people read the book of Acts and do that? Yeah, sure they do. They take it upon themselves to. Go try to cast out demons. They take it upon themselves to try to teach themselves tongues. They take it upon themselves to, to do all kinds of things. Will worship. Show themselves religious. That term will worship actually came from the Word of God. And look at look at Colossians, if you will, please. Colossians chapter two. We got we got to press on here. Colossians chapter two. I do want to read it real fast. Colossians chapter two. 
Begin reading in verse 16. He said, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of the unholy day or of a new moon or a new, new, of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Let no man beguile you of your reward in, in a voluntary humility and a worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. And not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands have nourishment ministered and knit together increaseth with increase of God. Wherefore, if you be dead with Christ from your from the rudiments of the world, meaning of that vain false religion of of of, of, of um, having a form of godliness, why, as though living in the world, are you subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not, which are all to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men. Why are you why are you living according to will worship? Why 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 are you just saying, okay, I want to do this, I want to do that, and this is how I'm going to do it? Which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will worship? They look they look religious, don't they? And humility and neglecting the body. Not in the honor to the satisfying of the flesh. Will worship. That's what much of this stuff comes down to. Will worship. Just someone devising for himself a way of worshiping and saying, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. It's not a beginning of godly confusion according to duties. Well, I have to do these things to be saved. You have to do this or whatever. So, children of God, what are we, do, what are we to do with this? When the day of Pentecost was fully come... Well, what's the original purpose of Pentecost? Again, it was a celebration, the Feast of Weeks, day number 50. They were to do all these sacrifices and, and, and show repentance. They were to celebrate the Lord in Passover and, and, and unleavened bread and in first fruits. It was to be a celebration unto God for his provision, for his, for his uh, releasing them out of bondage and to sanctifying unto himself a people. It was to adore the provision of God, to celebrate him and his greatness. And also, they were in the reaping of the harvest. They were they were also to meet the needs of the poor. And reaping of the harvest, they were also to meet the needs of the stranger. So yes, while we come in and quote reap the harvest, and we celebrate the Lord Jesus Christ in His gospel, we are to, as the people of God, desire that the needs of the poor and the stranger are met. How do we do that? Same as they did two thousand years ago. Go about preaching repentance and salvation in Jesus Christ and He alone. Celebrating Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits in the Lord Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. Continuing the celebration of Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks according to the glorious gospel. Continue steadfastly, that means diligently and earnestly, and the apostles' doctrine, which was Christ's doctrine. Mark chapter 1, what did he go about preaching? Repent and believe the gospel. That was the message of Jesus Christ. Doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. What are we supposed to do this, children of God? We are to celebrate. We are to celebrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Celebrate. That's what Acts chapter 2 is all about, is a celebration. That's what the rest of the book of Acts is all about, is a celebration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Going to those that are near the Jew and those that are far off the stranger. Sinner, are you poor? Are you a stranger? Are you far off? Are you without hope in this present world? Well, 
Know surely that both that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. That's what it says in verse 36 of Acts chapter 2. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made the same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Lord, owner and possessor of all things, Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. The fulfillment appointed by God to save his people from their sins. There is no other Lord, there is no other Christ. As much as one can celebrate in the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is nothing but despair and sorrow outside of it. I encourage you, by the power of God, to repent, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and be saved. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.